and off to the storm I run and run as the rains come and I look up I look up on my knees and out of luck I look up Night has always pushed up day You must know life to see decay But I won't rot I won't rot Not in this mind and not in this heart I won't rot And I took you by the hand And we stood tall And remembered our own land Hello there, loyal listeners, newcomers, progeny, kids, people being forced to listen at gunpoint. Uh, welcome Whoa, to our podcast. Trigger word, trigger word. Pardon me? That was a trigger word. Oh, I said gunpoint, didn't I? Yeah. Dang it. Well, okay. Forget the gunpoint. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. This is Pop and Jay. I'm Pop, the old guy, and she, my daughter, is the Jay. Hi, Jess. How you doing? Ah, hi, Pop. You know, it's been it's been a long couple of days. One of those times we all dread have to deal with. We had to put one of our cats down today. He had a yeah. struggle with a he got feline uh, FIV, and then it turned into cancer. So. Oh, jeez. Yeah, his name is Gandalf. Gandalf the Grey. He's a, so sorry. He's an amazing cat from the Great Buffalo line, and uh, we're yeah, we're it was a tough one for me and my husband um, to get through it. Earlier today, I was actually listening to our podcast episode number two, uh, which loyal listeners will note was "Animals in the Afterlife," and if you haven't listened to it, I really recommend it. Um, we did a pretty decent job getting through um, not some whimsical, like, fa- fairy fantasy about animals being uh, in, in heaven, quote-unquote, in heaven. But uh, I think we really did a good philosophical treatment on it, a subject that I, as I said then, I don't think has been dealt with very well by modern uh, theologians. That was, a, that was a good episode. It actually, I, I remember it. That was like our second episode, right? Yeah, you yeah, said Yeah, episode two, yeah. That was that was fun. It was fun to do and it felt it just felt good. Well it's it's just um it's tough when you go through this and you know, we're Catholic, so we you know, it's still obviously it's a million times harder to lose, you know, a human loved one or whatever, but there's this weird added element with animals that you kinda of start to fall into where you're like, and maybe they're gone forever because that's what some people say and so anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough, uh, but you know, faith in God, uh, that's really what always gets me through it. I think he, he is justice and he loves us and his creation more than we ever could. So I, whatever his plan is for Gandalf, he made him and he loves him more than I do. So, um, like I was saying all day, Gandalf the gray will, he has fallen into shadow, but we will see him again as Gandalf the White, I believe. 
I love it. I love the Lord of the Rings references and names and all of that. Uh, I'm sorry. I know Adam was real close and you mm-hmm. were, he's, he's a great little cat. I, I met him several times and pretty awesome. Um, I, again, we, we dealt with the subject that a lot of people either just don't deal with, don't think about, or if they do, they're just like, well, I don't know, I guess animals maybe could be, um, more often than not, they're like, it's, it's a, it's a pretty good no, which without much, um, like today we're for our subject, we're going to use a lot of good philosophical reasoning and stuff, but I don't think that that issue has been dealt with very rationally. Well, I, like, I think you just said it when you said, uh, he, God loves his creations more than we do. That's sometimes really hard for us people to grasp, I think. We're so caught up in ourselves and we think, oh, I love this person or I love this pet more than anyone could ever understand. And and then we kind of forget, you know, hold on a minute. Who created this? Mm-hmm. And how could how could a creature love another creature more than the creator does? It, it Yeah. Anyway, um, our episode was good on two and maybe we can... Uh, do it justice today. Uh, if my memory serves me, we, we did hit on some philosophy in there. Uh, we talked about some of the the various saints and philosophers and their, their opinions, but I don't know if we did too much because my memory, you know, I'm very old. Yeah. Yeah. Careful there. I'm your (sighs) eldest child. I'm only 19 years behind you. So let's not say too old. Well, I'm I'm old, you betcha, but age is not just chronology. So 19 years is but a drop in the bucket. It's it's really quite nothing. Mhm. I know your life began when I was born. Duh. <laughs> there you go. Well, okay, so it's, it's been a tough day for for me. Um, we all have bad times, you know. We re- there's horrible horror stories everywhere. Your job, you are inundated constantly. So, um, you know, I thought maybe we'd do an episode on what is one of the most powerful, you might say, arguments against God, if not the most, um, that really emotional, yet also understandable problem that some people have in believing in that all-good supreme being because of all the suffering in the world. You know, it's called many things, the problem of evil, the problem of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, that is a topic, and it, it it's called it's it's a well known it's a well known uh, argument, I guess, or philosophical premise, whatever you want to say. It, it it it's been around as long as people have been talking about this sort of thing, and lately it's come to be framed that way. The way you said, either the problem of evil or the problem of pain, and and the evil uh, when we say evil doesn't necessarily mean you know, a devil with a pitchfork. Evil just means anything bad that happens. Yeah. Bad, bad things. Uh, any, any bad thing that happens. So, uh, I think you said it's one of the most powerful arguments against God. Well, actually I believe, and, and I think a lot of people believe that it is the most effective atheistic argument. It's, uh, it's like Dr. Dr. Crave, Dr. Peter Crave says it's it's their trump card. It's an atheist trump card because they can just throw it down and go, oh, yeah, little kid suffering. Uh, C.S. Right. Lewis, 
our guy, your guy, my guy, every thinking person's guy, C.S. Lewis, uh, he laid out, he actually literally, again, like he has on so many things, like on miracles, as I said, he wrote the book. He actually wrote the book on this too. Uh, and it, by, by all accounts of fair-minded people, it is the best treatment of this topic absolute must read yeah it is an absolute must read it it's it's, c.s lewis is is hard and he's deep and all that but good lord what what a great it's titled the problem of pain and it was written just a couple years after his conversion from atheism yeah it was wonderful he was and and people forget that that the the single greatest uh voice for for god and for christianity of the 20th century was was an atheist until mm-hmm. he met a little guy we like to call um, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, who was a good Catholic man, and he converted C.S. Lewis. So there you go. Anyway, Lewis formulated the problem. The, the way the problem is, it's a lot of people take it, and philosophers have taken it as as a logical problem. So with with a logical problem or a logical statement, you have a minor premise, a major premise, you have premises, and then you have a conclusion. And so Lewis formulated it, if God exists, and is all powerful, and all good, then there cannot be evil. There is evil, therefore God does not exist. Or you could phrase it, he exists, but he's not powerful. Or you could phrase it, he exists, but he's not all good. Right. Because the initial premise the initial logical statement, God exists, God is all-powerful, God is all-good, there is evil. It it, it almost becomes a non-sequitur from a logical standpoint. But what you have to do with any logical statement to disprove it is you have to look at the premises, you have to look at the conclusion, you have to see if there's a false premise, you have to see if there's a false or fallacious conclusion, and, defi- and define your ter- define your terms too. I Big know, time. I know he really, I think right off the bat starts to deal with defining good and defining uh, because good for uh, I think he says good to us in the modern world is basically just kindness, and that's not good. You know, if they. Uh, that's you know, and love, and I think maybe that was what it was defining right. love, define uh, love. Yeah, and define evil, yeah. and define exactly. I want to say before, actually, before we go any farther, uh, something occurred to me. You know, we just came up with this topic a little while ago mm-hmm. because of you. we were actually going to have a whole other show, which is going to be the next one, which is going to be so great. Believe me, it's going to be the best show ever. Believe Episode me. 20. That Believe will, that me, be. it's going to be epic. Uh, anyway, here's what my sort of quick, but super deep, I'm sure, thinking about this kind of, kind of popped into my head. This, that the problem of pain is really not a problem to someone who has taken all the steps, all the faith steps, and who fully and completely believes in and trusts God. It's not a problem for someone like that. I mean, it, 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 it's a problem in a sense that it hurts us when these things happen, and especially when they happen to us. But as far as the logical part of it and the understanding 
or yeah. saying how can it be. It, this is really a problem for people who haven't taken the step, for people who are call themselves atheists or agnostic. That's who this is a problem for. And that's, you know, what's interesting is I think that's why, like you were mentioning, you have a website, um, you've done a lot of intensive essays on lots of stuff, like most, you know, big, big issues. And you hadn't done this one. And for me, I don't think about this too much. I love the book, The Problem of Pain, and and um, I always find it fascinating in debates. But like you're saying right now, it has never even kind of been, like there's, if there are ever doubts in my mind about God or anything like that, it, this isn't where it comes from. Cause right. like, I guess it's like you're saying, I've, uh, I've taken the leap and I, I'm past this part, but it doesn't mean it's not something still to engage, but I can see why for somebody like C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, this is, this is an actual problem to get through. Yeah. Like a logical problem. And it, it reminds me a lot of what I, what I just said and what you just said on our, I think it was our faith episode, which was very controversial <laughs> with some yes. of our listeners, uh, some of our listeners for sure. And uh, I hope that those listeners are listening here because uh, it's sort of a continuation. But um, yeah, it's like you, you, if you have the faith, what did, what did Aquinas say? For those, oh, this is beautiful. It totally fits here. I don't have it exactly in front of me, but it's in my brain. Um, Thomas Aquinas, the great Thomas Aquinas said, uh, for those with faith, no explanation is necessary. For those without faith, no explanation is possible. Speaking and, of that episode, my uh, the the one of the atheists you're speaking of definitely hates that quote. Finds that to be some kind of logic. I, I remember. I, I no, I do remember that. I do remember that. But it's like it's like the thing I just said popped into my brain. It's it's trust, trust and faith. By the way, I, during that episode, I made some mistakes, uh, and it just rubs me horribly that we haven't corrected things yet. I called faith a cardinal virtue, and it's not. It's a theological virtue that was been really bugging me there Sorry. you go there you go finally remedied it, it's out confession is good for the soul oh, but yeah but anyway uh, it's like i just said it if you have taken the step if you have the faith if you if you do trust it's like a little kid that would would be terrified you know walking somewhere alone but if his dad or his mom is holding him he has trust in that faith. And so for a believer to say that I may not have the answer, but I trust that there is an answer and I trust. It's the same. It's exactly that we did this in faith. I know we did a million times, but it's the exact same thing as an atheist, uh, a natural science person saying we may not know exactly how this process worked in nature yet but we will find it out that is the exact same article of faith as a christian saying i may not know the answer to this but god knows and there is an answer and i trust in him right well what i like yes i we're i think we're kind of getting into faith which i guess it makes sense because well we're saying faith is our answer to this logical problem but there what i like about Part of our answer. It's part of our answer. But what I like about C.S. Lewis's treatment and probably many others, but I just really truly think his work is probably the most 
complete and unbreakable. But what I like about it is he, he really tackles it logically and as somebody who didn't have faith. And he really breaks the argument well. And I don't know if it's the beginning of it, but I don't know if this is a good place to start getting into it, but I was, I just like the way he, whenever we actually start getting into, I guess, breaking the, the logic, supposed logical problem there, I like the way that he kept it very logical. I wish atheists basically would, would re- at least read the book to put yeah. something else in the brain. Because like we're saying, I don't really, I guess I don't know how you would, I really need to empathize, I think, more with people who, who actually have this as a, as a real problem for them, keeping them from God. And you know what? This probably happens to believers a lot who are especially not well-formed in faith, which just means that they don't understand the nature of God very well. Somebody dies or something horrible happens and that's it. Yeah. They lose their quote-unquote faith, but, the, but going back to our faith talk, did they have faith? Is it right. is faith like Kool-Aid that you drink, or is it, it, it needs to be well-formed, or else I think you can, quote-unquote, lose it if you, I don't know, I might be rambling, I've been up uh, for a long time. No, you're, you're not, you're not. Um, so, okay, before we put ourselves and, and others to sleep with too much of that that just what do we mean when we say uh the evil and pain and, and obviously uh a lot of christians believe that suffering and pain are a result of sin uh, which which is true i believe to some extent but there's there are things there are kinds of pain and suffering and evil that have nothing to do with our action you have like moral and natural evil and pain. The the moral or the spiritual is something that if you want to argue that it came from, from us, from original sin or our own sin, whatever, go ahead, fine. Well, that's the other thing too. Original sin, I think, is very, very out of, uh, I don't know, whatever you'd say, like not popular. I mean, even for Christians, I think, I think less and less yeah. actually believe that there is some quote-unquote original sin like that were tainted at birth. Yeah, that boy. There's an episode right there. Original sin. Good yeah, lord. I, I'm studying something right now that is in the Baha'i faith, and it's yeah interesting that 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 is becoming much more prevalent today. That it seems quote unquote irrational or illogical. Well, the things that are becoming popular today are anything that absolve people from uh, taking steps to make themselves and the world better. In other words, anything that will rationalize and excuse uh, behavior patterns and things like that, that's what's popular today. Anything well, and what's in, that, that's all of humanity's history, too. That's why the Jews are such an anomaly. Like, I was going to talk about, in uh, Lewis's work, He ident- he's saying, um, he's talking about how odd it was that the Jews, specifically, would equate, like, there's something that goes beyond your empirical uh, perception as a human. Uh, there's, there's a few things. Um, what he talked about was the numinous, that awe fear you have with the dead. That's something that people have always had. And, right. it, and it doesn't make any, it doesn't uh, make empirical, like it's not something you can empirically prove. It's just something that people believe in or have felt for so long. And then 
morality, this um, inexplicable sometimes feeling that you ought to do this or that. Well, the Jews equate the two, or um, how, do, how does he say it? That, that uh, I, they identified the numinous, that fear, with the guardian of morality, which would be God. And this, this quote, I think, is really good. We desire... This doesn't make sense because we humans desire nothing less than to see that law whose naked authority is already insupportable armed with the incalculable claims of the numinous. So we don't yeah. want anything less than to have some moral authority also being that supernatural thing. Like, th there's no reason to do that. It It's like... Uh, it, it goes against what human nature is, which is what every other human culture has always done, which is pretty much just partied and um, not equated the two. So, right. anyways, that's um, we think that it's all unique right now that people are their quote unquote spirituality or morality leads them to uh, do as you, whatever you feel, kind of thing. But that's kind of the nature of, that humans have always taken. The, the really oddballs in the history of humanity have been the Jews and then especially the Christians. Yeah. Because then we had God, or Christ himself, who claimed to be one with the numinous and the moral. Like, he was both. Right. So, anyways, uh, yeah. So. Well, it's, you know what? We're going we're gonna to arrive at Jesus, for sure, because yeah. all, roads lead, all roads lead to him, and he actually is the road. But... Uh, before at the risk, I mean, we're going like Grand Canyon deep here early on. Right. What, what the heck, or what we're talking about here is why do bad things happen? And why do bad things happen sometimes to good people? And, and why, what is this? Why does this happen to us? Why, you know, like I said earlier, that Lewis framing the original argument, if God is up there or out there, and if he is all-powerful, the way we say, and all-good, then how the heck can there be evil? Mm -hmm. so, so back to Lewis again, speaking of all roads, it's so beautiful the way he says it. Um, he, he didn't claim, he was a very humble man. Uh, if any man had a right to not be humble, it's him, but he was a very humble man. And, and he says uh, many times, I don't, pretend that anything that I say is going to, you know, convince people and make them. But he said, I will, I will say it this way. Um, a little in times of, of really bad pain and evil in our lives. Lewis said, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly, but he said a little human sympathy and courage are much more helpful than a lot of knowledge. And, and, you know, that's that intuitive thing that you were just talking about is when, when, you know, your cat dies or, uh, God forbid, you know, someone's child dies, which mm -hmm. I see too much of, um, having people around you and yourself having virtue and courage and strength, those things are far more helpful than some philosophical argument about it all. And, and if you have those things, then you, you're not going to be the kind of person like uh, Ivan Karamazov, which we should talk about mm -hmm. too, from Dostoevsky, from the brothers, uh, you know, to, 
to say that that's a God I can't worship. That's a God I can't worship. Right. Um, getting angry with God. Lots of people get angry with God. It happens a lot. It happens to believers. It happens to pious people. Um, but it, like Lewis said, if you go back to it and, and it's the virtues, it's always the virtues. If, if you have honest to God fortitude and courage and your faith and your trust in God and you have your fellow humans there with sympathy and helping you, that is extremely important and ultimately more satisfying for sure. But does it start to tackle the problem? Well, philosophically and, log- it? and logically, it, it doesn't. And when, you know, when, when someone asks, why did this happen? Why did this have to happen? You can give them a straight up logical answer, uh, like say a car crash. Uh, oh, a couple God. weeks ago, there was a really bad one. It killed an entire family of five, three small children and the parents. And they're they missionaries. Oof. I'm aware. I saw that, and it's horrible. And there was a really bad one here in town the other night that that I was on duty for, um, involving a young pregnant lady. So, oh you know, yeah, that was really her. Rough. Her husband shows up at the scene, and like anyone uh, who showed up at a scene like that, and a loved one of theirs, just unspeakable tragedy. Just. It's so horrifying to the brain that it yeah. just kind of makes you shut down for a minute. And 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 the question is always why? why? It's the first thing. Why did this happen? How and why did this happen? We all want to know that every time. As if, as if someone telling us why or how is going to make it better. As if someone telling us, well, here's what happened. This guy was on the wrong side of the road and he was very drunk. And the reason it happened is because he got let out of jail when he shouldn't have. How does that make it better? It doesn't, but our mind is frantically in those moments. Our mind is frantically seeking anything. And since our brains are essentially trying to be rational, even in times of high emotion, that's why, yeah. And that's why we ask why. And that's, that's, uh, microcosm of the big question of the problem of pain is, is we in, for some reason we feel this, this deep need. And so when I said earlier that I think people who of strong faith, maybe this is, this, it's still a problem of course, and it's still awful, but it's not the same level of logical philosophical problem as it is for a skeptic or a, an outright atheist. So, so the, the, the ancient skeptic that, and I don't remember, I don't know if this is, there's attribution for this, but it's it probably been said by a million people. If there is no God, why is there so much good? And if there is a God, why is there so much evil? That sort of sums it up, but, but that right there should make any quote logical skeptic go, wait a minute. If my argument is that the lack of good and the evil is is proof against God, then isn't the amount of good, which is measurable and is everywhere around us, isn't that proof that there is a God? Because if, if I guess what I'm trying to say from the logical standpoint is well, yeah, if, one... if an atheist is going to use uh, the presence of evil as an argument against God, then if you're going to be intellectually honest, 
you have to use the presence of good as an argument for God. Do you not? Well, and that's why I think it's so... Okay, this argument seems to me like it's you almost always emotional and understandable, like I said, because, like you said, the this horrible accident that just happened to this guy, like, what's his life going to be like now? It, 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 you know, we almost understand when people just fall apart and lose faith in everything or whatever. It's it's almost always emotional. Like, people hate God for this stuff and then eventually just don't even believe in Him because it's easier than trying to figure out how could you do this to me or how could you let this happen to me. Right. What I like about C.S. Lewis's treatment of it is that he he tackles it logically like that ancient skeptic would. You You have to start to... And I know you're saying, and it's true, that the humanity you show people in those situations will eventually actually do more for them than trying to logically fight it out or whatever. Well, but, I'll uh, tell I'll I'll tell you this uh, just on that what you just said. I know that what C.S. Lewis said about a little human sympathy. I know that to be absolutely true gospel true. I've seen it in my job time and time and time again in some of the worst worst things uh weeks days months later the the people the victims the survivors whatever they they have come back and they have expressed gratitude and they've made statements like thank god for that officer that was so good or that victim advocate or that yeah that paramedic or thank god because they remember that they remember that there were human beings there with and- them in that moment that were that we're giving them love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and think about things like nine eleven and these horrible, massive tragedies where communities will come together like nobody's business and find Jesus pretty quick when he's been out of the loop for so long. So it's interesting because it's actually kind of both. Like for some people, maybe you would think that this would turn them away, but but if you add love to the mix, then it actually, and I think this probably has to do at least in part with you, it's not wish fulfillment, but whatever faith you ever had, if you did, you find it when you lose somebody, because if, if, if you go with the way the world is, then your, your loved one is gone. There's, they're just, they're worm food. Um, so you hold on to that hope that God does exist. You want to believe, you know, so there's kind of uh, a both, I think to it. Like yeah, even Adam but, today, you know, like we said, it's his cat even more than mine. He lived at Adam's, uh, anyways. Yeah. Adam well, today has been like big time in pain and suffering and crying and just horrible. But he's been so much more, uh, you know, talking about God and so grateful for any sympathy and empathy. You know, you can see it in people. And this is a, just an animal. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think about that, but it's true. I think sympathy is probably the, the, the best thing you could do. But so maybe this problem actually comes up late, like a little bit after these tragedies when people are actually ruminating on it and thinking, but how, how could this have happened if God really exists? Well, you, you have to get to a point, uh, I believe this, to, to, to really embrace and understand this this problem, you have to get to a point where you see beyond the 
the tragedy that pick one, pick anything, pick the pregnant lady, pick, pick Gandalf, pick, pick any tragedy. If you really want to understand, you have to see beyond that. So you, you just said it, it's emotional. It's highly emotional. When has anyone ever figured anything out successfully and rationally when they are in the red? And I say in the red, like their meters pegged all the way in that emotional red moment. When has anybody ever made good decisions, ever made good conclusions, ever done anything when they're in that emotional state? The answer is never. And so if you can't get past the horror of the moment, then you're not going to be able to see the why and the this and the that. And if you can, if you're if you're never able to do a big picture thing, if you're stuck in the minutia, like with anything else, if you if you're even in science, you know that's why I always say science and philosophy used to work together. And science would look for the minutia and and the, the teeny the, the mechanical explanations, and and philosophy would pull back and look at the big picture and say, oh, that's how that little thing works. And look, it works with this thing. And, and there would be a big picture look. And that's how you have to look at this. Because if you just focus on how awful it is, we could all day, we could, it's called admiring the problem. You know, we just stare at, oh, that's really bad. That's horrible. That's awful. Oh my gosh, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. That pregnant lady is dead. Um, that little kid is got, you know, uh, mm-hmm. lost a limb. We admire the problem, and the problem is so bad that it just takes – it's sort of like uh, the Bible saying that sin darkens the intellect. This is very similar to that to me because we're not using our faculty of reason because we're too too much in the red. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and it's kind of interesting too. Like people don't question the same way, why did this random good thing happen? I can't believe it. This is – you know, it doesn't necessarily lead some... And that's huge. Um, I think we're going to get into it. I I think the biggest um, answer, like, if you're going to deal with this philosophically or logically, is kind of obvious. Maybe this is why this argument has always fallen short for me also, is, like, I'm a big capitalist. I believe in the, you know, in our system of uh, economic uh, everything in this country. I, I America! America! Like, yeah, and what we should cap- do an episode on America. And what oh, is wait. and what is capitalism based in? Free will and the ability to succeed and fail. And yeah. um, I think it's kind of a similar thing to to like we people who believe in this and aren't communist socialists like most people are going these days. Uh, believe that it it, it no not believe, no, that it is the most fair system of dealing, uh, you know, with each other economically is for us to be able to, you basically everybody makes it and it, and it is, you know, on, on their own merits and stuff like that. And that, in, and that inevitably leads to some failures and some suffering. Uh, and that causes people to knee jerk react and say, Oh, we got to, Government's got to step in. Someone's got to step in and fix this. Well, that's the, like, I think it's kind of like an example or like kind of like what I think God has done with all of us. Like, I think our spirits are in that same system where, and I know it's not the whole picture, the free will argument, but God made us, if, if we couldn't lose, if we couldn't suffer, 
if that wasn't a possibility, which let me see, I think the quote from the book from Pramapain is, try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existence of free wills involve, and you will find that you have excluded life itself. It's so fundamental to be, to being alive that without it, we literally would be robots or automatons. Like there's, so I guess for me, I, I don't know. I know it's only part of the the answer to this problem, but it seems like a pretty important part of it. Like how can, you can't have good without the potential for evil or suffering, a lack of good, because otherwise, what is good? Like if God stepped in every right. time and fixed it when something bad happened, very quickly there would be no fear of any, not just like fear, but there... Good wouldn't matter because it would just be a given. It it wouldn't be anything. It would lose its goodness. It wouldn't, you know. And I really think it does lead directly to life doesn't even exist. It's not life anymore as God made it. So, okay. So free will. You mentioned it. And what is what is uh, Christian? How does Christianity typically answer the problem of pain and and all of that? And, that's a big question because there's obviously multiple answers, but sort of the main crux comes down to a few things and free will is one of them. Free will is one of them. You just nailed it. Okay. Actions have consequences. Um, what does the Bible say about what are the wages of sin? Uh, the, the Bible teaches that the wages of sin are death. So over and over and over again in God's word and in, in tradition and in real life, we see it. We see that actions have consequences. And when we do something that's to our spiritual self, then part of us, part of us dies and part of us suffers. Yeah. And so free will, free will is huge. It's a huge part of the answer. Why, why is there pain? It's because, like you said a while ago, God didn't make automatons. He didn't make us robots. We have free will. And the only way that, that God could have done that would have been to make us robots. It's just the same thing with faith as the faith argument that we, we talked on that episode. If, if, if we didn't need faith, if God just appeared in the sky, then what, what good is it? Pascal said uh, God provided enough evidence so that those who want to find him can, but not so much that uh, that it forces us. And so someone who doesn't want to won't find him. This is the same thing. This is, uh, it's, it's, it's understanding that as far as personal suffering and, and suffering in, of man from, from uh, the moral and the spiritual, free will is a big part of the answer. It's only one part though. The natural, uh, you know, why, why are there tsunamis? that kill little kids and why is that, why is there general suffering? Right. And so this is where you have to take the next leap and it's not even that big of a leap and it's not even a faith leap because even a secular humanist could not argue that suffering, suffering well and pain actually builds character. It actually makes us better if we suffer it well. And that's sort of the mantra for a lot of saints, right? Is is not that they're suffering, but are you suffering well? And and by suffering well, it means are you understanding that uh, through your suffering, 
you're actually making, you're becoming better. Uh, my dad always That's used the huge. phrase, my dad always used the phrase, uh, you know, he's not worth the powder to blow him to hell. Well, without pain and without suffering, we would not be worth the power to blow us to hell. Wisdom, wisdom comes from suffering. Uh, there's a, you know, there's like a quote that I saw and it's, it's not attributed to anybody, but it sums it up. Uh, suffering produces empathy, humility, endurance, resilience. It creates courage. This is so true. Uh, it creates courage. It creates leadership and integrity. It provides uh, proving ground. Character in the old saying, what's the old saying? Uh, hard times don't build character. They reveal it, right? Right. So character isn't what you are on your best day uh, in Disneyland or whatever. But it's when your back is against the wall, when the pressure is on, when things are going wrong all around you. And I'm going to tell you, I have met some people in my job as a police officer that have gone through are going through extremely trying horrible times they bad bad things have happened to them and or their families and a lot of them fold like a cheap suit a lot of them completely fall apart a lot of them are already just self-medicating with drugs or whatever and then there there are the ones who stand out there are the ones and you know who you are, people. There are the ones who, in the midst of all of that, they keep their head up. They say thank you. They they put their arm around a family member. And they, they resolve to not let this moment take them down. And that is what who – is, who is to say that God did not design what, – what is the, the lovely saying, God draws straight with crooked lines? Mm-hmm. Um, all things, all things that we go through, if we look at them the right way, will make us better. If we don't look at them the right way or, or choose to not look at them at all, then they'll either have no effect or they'll have a detrimental effect on us. So to me and to a, a whole lot of, of philosophers and people super far smarter than I'll, I'll ever be have come to the conclusion that the premise, so back to the premise uh, and the logical argument that we started with, suffering and evil could not come from a, a, a God who is all good. But what if, what if suffering and evil were a tool that that God used to draw straight with crooked lines? And, and more importantly, the, the thing that we, we often lose sight of is whatever suffering we have in this world if you're a believer, if you believe in eternity and, and a life with God after this, it's, it's literally, it's not even a drop in, in the ocean compared to eternity. Well, and what's the best example we have as Christians from the, I think Peter Crave says it so well, I don't remember what he says exactly, but it's basically when... He says many things really well. Yeah, this is uh, basically God took the worst sin of humanity or the worst thing any you can even fathom, killing God, and he turned it into the greatest thing for humanity ever, um, the redemption of all of us. So talk about writing straight with crooked lines. Well, uh, there you go. Talk about uh, maybe God foresaw well because he sees you know he's outside of time of course but he foresaw you and i having this conversation right now and 
And he said, here, I'll give you, I'll give you a fantastic example. I am going to come down and going to lower myself to the point where uh, I'm a, a, a miserable creature, a human being, flesh and bone and blood. And I'm going to allow myself to be tortured and just all manner of, of inhumanity heaped upon me. And it's going to be one of the worst things that any humans has ever suffered. And I'm going to do that for you. And once I've done that, if you only accept this sacrifice that I did as being valuable to you, then, then your eternal salvation is there for you. So the perfect, what is uh, C.S. Lewis calls him the perfect penitent. There's only, only God himself and being perfect could possibly suffer for all of us. And so if, you know, we suffer. Well, and you and, want to talk about the problem of pain. The creator of all things was killed by us. Um, you could never, <laughs> you could never ever find a more innocent anything in the whole, you couldn't even fathom it, than the creator of everything. And we killed it. You want to talk about who causes suffering? We do. Yeah. We did it. And he shows us by being the one who suffered, not just an ex by example, which he does also through, through his beautiful saints for all of time have done. And like you said, all these good people who handle suffering well have done. He himself did it. He himself right. took on the suffering of the entire world. Because, you know, when you really start to get into it, it wasn't just the physical agony of all the things he went through. Jesus took on the evil of the world. You want to talk about the problem of evil? He did take it. Yeah. He took the problem of evil into him as God. I mean, we... Well, if you accept that, if you're a person who accepts that he came and did that, then you see right there firsthand that some of the worst suffering that any person has ever endured led to the greatest good that's ever happened to mankind. So that is sort of God's way of saying, you think suffering uh, is bad? You think suffering cannot produce good? Well, this suffering is the best thing that's ever happened to the human race. Yeah. Ever. It's why Easter really should be, you know, as as definitely as lauded as Christmas is. And I know Christmas is just naturally so much more... There's nothing bad there, yeah. quote unquote bad there, and it's hard to get through Good Friday. But um, I mean Easter, it's it just. I guess maybe this is getting, maybe that's a little bit too Christian, but I'm just saying it, it also really doesn't make sense. Like why, like the I don't know, just. Well, as, uh, again, the the forget for a second, forget the Christian part of it, and go back to. Just saying, does adversity uh, build character and make us better? Can it? Yeah. It, does, it doesn't yeah. always, but can it? Of course it can. Well, and I, I, um, Trent Horn has a book, Answering Atheism, and I, he does a lot of those, the podcasts, the shows on Catholic Answers that are specifically asking for atheists to call in. And this is a very common objection people have, the problem of evil. And I, I really like the way he, he always says... Um, pretty logically can well can you prove 
that God can't bring good out of this. Like, whatever you're talking about, tsunami, whatever, you know, name your horror, can you prove that God doesn't bring good out of this? Yeah. Um, no. And in fact, most if you look into it, very, very, very often you can see good coming out of suffering. Uh, I'm sorry, but there's there's almost no exceptions to that. That that if if people handle it the right way, yeah, that good comes out of it. That's not to say that if a child dies, and you it was know, for the, the best, quote unquote. Right. That we're not saying not saying that at all. No. Not that's certainly no one's place to say that, but. Can it lead, can it help people get to a place where that tragedy has been put in its proper place respectfully, but at the same time, it's new pathways have formed, like, like the way neurons fire in our brains and new, new pathways come out, you know? Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. So yes, maybe that's again a That is so freakish that you just said that because I was just getting ready to throw that one out. Well, how is that? I mean, that's it. And it's funny cuz you you do see people like with Romans 8:28, you know, you see it kind of thrown around sometimes and but really stop. All things. Okay, that's all things. Yeah. So in this, you know, missionary family I was talking about who loved Jesus with all their heart and all five of them died. Somehow that will work for the good. And that's the point of, you know, uh, like just wars and all these so many things when and you say, OK, not, not to those who love God. What does that mean? Well, it can also mean. Doing something justly, doing the right thing. So if somebody, you know, uh, suffers and has a some kind of horrible accident or whatever, I don't know. Good yeah. can come out of it for those who, like you're saying, who suffer well. Um, and anyways, for those who love God, all things were to Yes, absolutely. And and just back to the logical premises again, because we need to break down another one. The maybe the the underlying current of that the argument that Lewis framed for for the atheist or whatever, you know, God God exists, if he's all powerful, if he's all good, there is evil and suffering in the world, therefore God cannot exist in the way that we describe God. Either he's going to be not all powerful or not all good. He can't be all good and all powerful and there still be suffering. Well, that's that is beyond presumptuous. Exactly. That's the word presumptuous. Who how because, could you ever say that? That's pretty much what I was saying about Trent Horn. What he's saying is, how do you know that? You don't that yeah, it's presumptuous. You don't well, know it's that. it's presumptuous for uh an ant or uh, an amoeba to think that it understands uh, our motivations mm-hmm. for stepping on it or for buying a cup of coffee. There, God is, if, if the God that, I mean, the very logical premise that says God is all powerful. Okay, how can the person who formulated this logical syllogism 
with faulty premise premises, how can that person uh, put themselves on a level to put God into one of their premises as if this all powerful, what does all powerful mean to them and all knowing we're not even close to either of those things. So who says, who says that God, yeah, that God's reasons um, could even remotely be understood by us. Yep. Um, So uh, Peter Kraft, Dr. Kraft, an amazing man, uh, long time, long time teacher of mine. uh, And I finally got to meet him and he read my book. Uh, Anyway, he's so brilliant. I want to read something uh, that he wrote, a short little thing. This, this, is, this is a perfect little analogy or a little metaphor. So a child on the 10th story of a burning building cannot see the firefighters with their safety net on the street. They call up to him, jump, we'll catch you, trust us. The child objects, but I can't see you. The firefighter replies, that's all right. I can see you. We are like that child. Evil is like the fire. Our ignorance is like the smoke. Yeah. God, God is like the firefighter. And Christ is like the safety net. If there are situations like this where we must trust even fallible human beings with our lives, where we must trust that what we hear, not what we see, then is it not reasonable that we must trust the infallible, all-seeing God when we hear from his word, but do not see from our own reason or experience? We cannot know all of God's reasons, but we can know why we cannot know. There, that's the end of that. Was that that not the perfect little analogy? It, it sums it up better than anything else I've ever heard. And by the way, uh, for a secular, for an atheist, for for an agnostic, whatever, you can you can formulate any kind of logical syllogism you want, but you're going to keep coming back to the false premise when you say there is suffering and God allows it. God allowing suffering does not negate. It does not follow that God does not exist mm-hmm. and cannot be all good and cannot be all powerful. And the reason it does not follow is because you, the creator of this syllogism, cannot possibly know his reasons. And therefore, you cannot proclaim that uh, because God allows evil, that renders him not all good or not all powerful. Because you, you cannot can, make that. That is, a, that is a faulty premise. You could never prove that he doesn't bring good out of it. You could never prove that there's not going to be good out of the suffering, whatever it is. And... As believers, um, with with uh, you know thousands of years of um, testimonies about it and everything else, we believe that this is not the only life, and so we also that's the thing about atheism that it it I guess it kind of makes more sense why it's so I don't know it's weird because it's like a juxta it's like a uh, like they can't. So they don't believe in God, and so like if their daughter or their son or something dies, they think that's it. And it's weird because for like we suffer the same, but we believe that we'll see our child again. And so right. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it. I guess that's why the sympathy thing um, is the most important thing. But how do you sympathize with somebody who you know? I don't know who thinks that this is. I'm so. Probably, 
so uh, a few quick things to clean up. But, oh, but I really love that firefighter analogy. That was no, it's so abs- good. It's so brilliant. it's just so good. It just makes your brain just goes, yes, that is perfect. That is perfect. Yeah. A couple things to clean up first. Back to for a minute. Back to sin. Okay. Um, whatever you may feel about, it, and and le- again, let's go with the secular atheist, whatever. Uh, we've we've already acknowledged this in past episodes and it's i mean it just is what it is as they say um doing something against our conscience whether you believe in god or not harms you and any honest atheist with a brain will will agree to that i mean if if you because atheists are famous for saying you don't need god to be a good person yes you can do good so so for an atheist who says that if they do something wrong it harms them by their own admission. So let's just call that doing wrong thing sin, okay? And if you don't believe in God, then it's a sin against yourself and against your conscience, whatever. So sin harms you. Right. It harms, but it doesn't physically harm you, It right? I mean, it may, it may cause you stress and then you'll get sick and die, but there's no immediate like laceration or anything. But, it, but it, everyone acknowledges that doing wrong or sinning harms you. Right. So doing doing something evil is worse than having something evil done to you. Yes. It, it absolutely, it, it's almost inarguable. I mean, I guess a selfish person would argue with me, but we're right back to that conscience thing. But I think so, that actually most uh, atheists would even agree with that. Like, well, I'm thinking maybe more old school philosophical kind of re- atheist, but... A sin against, yes, a, a, like a quote-unquote sin against yourself is ten times worse than being hit or anything like that. Right. Like, that is just... And, and and so so now, let's go to Socrates, poor old Socrates. Um, so so much wisdom, all of that. And by the way, if you, if you have never read uh, uh, of the death of Socrates and mm. his, his pre-death speech... This is a must for every every human being breathing needs to read that. Mm-hmm. Everyone who's going to die someday needs to read that. And that's everyone. Because it's, it, it's wonderful. It's amazing. I mean, the one part that he says where he says, uh, who are we to say that death is not uh, is an evil instead of a great thing to happen? But anyway, in it, he says, um, his friends were imploring him, please, you know, don't let this happen. You can still stop this. And he said... Uh, it is impossible for a good man to be harmed by a bad man. Only I can harm my own soul. What he was saying was, do whatever you want to this body. Mm-hmm. But, and by the way, this was a pagan. This is a long time before Christianity, uh, concurrent with Judaism early, but he didn't know of it. But he reasoned, by the way, he reasoned himself to know that the soul is eternal. And that there's uh, one God. Exactly, and he found he found this through his brain, not through any uh, revelation of faith. And just but like anyway, Jesus, he never wrote anything down. Yeah, he, and he said, "It is impossible for a good man to be harmed by a bad man. Only I can harm my own soul." And so that that speaks total volumes. Um, I think if people really thought about it, they would say the worst thing in the world is not something bad that happens to me. 
the worst thing in the world for me is that I do something bad. Mm-hmm. And, and if you get, if you can get to that point, whether you get there as an atheist or as a Christian or whatever, then you're, you're a long way down the road to, if not, if not, we're never going to understand God's reasoning, but you're a long way down the road of, of maybe framing this problem of evil. Like I said, at the very beginning of this, this show, um, this seems to be a bigger problem for people who haven't taken that step. When you take that step, you say, yes, I don't, I still don't understand it fully. I don't know why that pregnant lady had to die that way. And her husband had to come and see it. And you I never don't will. And I, and I, and I really won't until I die. But, but what I do know is all the things that you and I have talked about for the last several minutes here, um, God does love us. And if he didn't, he would have made us robots and he would have made us do what he wanted us to do. And there would be no pain and there would be no suffering. And we would all be horrible shells of people. We wouldn't have character. We wouldn't have anything. Uh, the world, the, the, what is it? The, you know, Aquinas said that, that evil cannot exist without good, but good can exist without evil. But I will say this, uh, good is a lot. Cannot exist without the possibility of evil. And good is a lot more recognizable when you have evil to measure it against. Well, it's, it uh, just can't, ex- it can't exist without the possibility of evil. That's exactly the same situation the angels had. Yeah. They're not automatons either. Right. You couldn't, you couldn't possibly be a, a person, a being with free will without the potential to do bad. Otherwise, whatever right. good you do is completely meaningless. Use, like, it means nothing. I don't know what it's in, but, like, um, what, like, there's the famous, like, what is, um, heroism without danger in a war, you know, what is, or whatever, like, what, these virtues that we have, what are they without the potential for the counterpart? They're nothing. Like, what is... They're nothing. They're, they're, they're not even smoke. They're just nothing. They literally don't exist. Like, uh, what is hope without the possibility for something being taken away? What is... What is life without the possibility of death? Right. The most evil, you know? And and I was thinking also about the sympathy thing. Jesus showed us sympathy in the Bible, too. He cried so when his friend uh, was dead. When his friend's brother was dead. like he, And several other times it says he was moved by this and he was mm-hmm. moved by that. He felt like he was expressing that human sympathy that we talked about earlier. And surely with his mother uh, on the cro- while he's on the cross, you know, I love the way Mel Gibson portrays it in The Passion. Yeah. When she's, I mean, but anyways. Well, he, yeah, he, he felt, he felt, of course, he, he not only felt his mother's and John's and Lazarus and Mary and Martha and all of their pain. He felt your pain, Jess, uh, as he was on that cross. He felt the pain that you're feeling right now for Gandalf. He felt every ounce of sorrow, suffering, sin, and pain that every human being ever felt and ever will feel, all at that moment. And that's so un, like so much for our brains that I think that you know atheists and people are like, okay, no, no, you know. But so, I, but really, if you keep thinking. You get to the point where it has to be that way. For God to ever redeem the world, it's so interesting because 
the the keys were there in the Old Testament. I know they say the Old Testament prefigures the New, but the Jews didn't know. They didn't understand at all what kind of Messiah was coming. They thought it was going to be some big, powerful, strong... Yeah, a warrior. Warrior. To take down the Romans. And now we can see God's always had this this plan that because of us and because of what we did, things had to be the way that they were. He, the creator of all, he is... It's so funny because it's actually the opposite of what people think. How could God allow this? God is so good that he actually... I mean, if he really wasn't all good, he would just let us go with our suffering and go to whatever doom we have. But instead, he takes it and he turns it to good. He doesn't, like, it's so far the opposite of what people think with the problem of evil. It's the exact opposite. He takes all suffering and gives it purpose. Without him, like I guess that would be the difference between capitalism and why in a free market system we still do believe in things like charity and stuff because we're not God in this capitalistic system. There still has to be some humanity there or whatever. And with God, it's free will, like you say, but it's so much more because he still does help us out, even though we don't deserve it. Even though we don't, you know, we've done so much bad. Like I said, we killed the creator of life. I mean, how can you get past that? I'll tell you, um, I know we're at the end here, yeah. so so let me uh, let me let God have the final word. Um, so simple. Sometimes the the biggest question in the world has the most simple answer. In Matthew chapter five, verse forty five, it says, "God causes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good." And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Yep. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. That's the nature of it. We didn't and mention it, but Job is a good example too. I think that was an Old Testament example for... Job, Job's a great example. They're, they're, the Bible's full of them, but life is full of them. Yeah. Like history is full of them. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. This problem is uh, almost... One of those things where you say, what is much ado about nothing? It's not much ado about nothing because it's obviously something that we all all have tragedy in the pain. But is it really that hard to understand? Is it? Or is it just that we're so emotional and we're so in the midst of our own tragedies, we're so understandably in the red that our brain's not looking at this the right way? And well, an opportunistic skeptic uh, will seize on that, yes, and play it like a, like a, the Trump card. That uh, by the way, Trump is a trigger it, word now too. Uh, it's a total trigger word. Oh, and and since she made that little joke, um, I noted a minute ago, and I was going to say it at the end. This is officially our most humor-free episode, and I guess that's to be expected. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's not a it's been a weird day, rough day for me, anyways. But oh, uh, I, I, yeah, I feel I I'm so sorry. Well, and speaking but, of Gandalf, let me let me go out with a quote from Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings. Speaking of Tolkien and Gandalf, tying them together. Oh, do it. The journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back, and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it, white shores, 
and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. And that's when Gandalf's trying to assuage poor little uh, Pippin, who's worried about, you know, uh, upcoming suffering, the war. And that's the other thing about being a Christian is you have to keep looking forward. And, and And I just know, going back to our faith episode, it's in all of us. That hope is real. That firefighter is calling you. It's not your imagination. People have jumped and they've made it to the other side. And that's what we're all trying to do. Nobody's getting out of here alive. We're all going to suffer. And it's the the question isn't, the question is not, did you suffer? The question is, did you suffer well? Yep. Oh, all right. Heavy stuff, man. But uh, next episode is going to be more lighthearted. Episode 20. Oh, I can, I can absolutely guarantee that if it's the same topic that we were discussing. And I'm, right. I'm not sure the listeners will know because they'll be listening to it here, but I don't know what the music is. Maybe we'll try to make it a little bit more light later or something. It'll be good. It'll be the best music ever. I guarantee it. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. And you second amendment people believe me. Yeah. <laughs> believe me. What are you going to do about uh, it? Second amendment people. We'll, what are you going to we'll do see. about it? Yeah. This was recorded on, I think what is today's date? Like August 11th, I think. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, so good luck uh, Trump, Trump, with Trump. all that. All right, people. Uh, thanks, anyone who listened, and thanks, Jess. And I'm really sorry for you and Adam and the day you had. Hey, all things work together for good. Yes, for those who love God. I absolutely agree. All right, people, keep moving forward uh, courageously. Courage, 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 courage. Get over